All right, hey. <laughs> well, good morning, I'm back, it's me. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. Philippians chapter four, Philippians four this morning. We are wrapping up our series through Philippians that we have called Resilient Joy. How excited are we? Some of you are like, I can't wait to get out of this book. Can we go somewhere else? I'm so excited. We have been going after what Paul has, which is this resilient joy. It's a joy that's not rooted in shifting circumstances. It's, it's a joy that's not rooted in our changing moods. It's a joy that's not rooted in Seahawks wins and Seahawks losses, which by the grace of God is somehow more wins than losses this year. Praise God for that. My bears, not so much the same story. Listen, it is a, it is a joy that is rooted in, this, in a delight in the people and the presence and the promises of God. And today we are going to learn our final lesson from Philippians Philippians, and how we can go after this joy. And I know you need no reminding, but Paul, he was in prison, but even in prison, Paul was a man on a mission because it was in the fabric and the fiber of his being. It's who he was, and listen, that's how we are all wired. We are all wired to be a people on a mission, especially this time of year with how busy it is. I know how all of you can get. You're just like me, right? You're in the parking lot, and you're driving around, you're hunched over the steering wheel, and you're slowly stalking out for a spot because you are on mission, and you're stalking the person walking out of the store, and you're like, where are you going, buddy? I'm getting your spot. I'm going to get your spot, right? And then you get into the store, and you've got your list, and you're marching around, and you're like, I, get out of my way because I've, I've, got, I've got places to be. I've got dinners to make. I've got kids to take to practice. I am on a mission. You know what I'm talking about? We're people on a mission because it's in the fabric of who we are. We are purpose-driven people. And you see, we are like our God in this way. There is something in the image of God in every single human being on this earth that is designed to, to, to live on a mission to live with a purpose because our God is a purposeful God. Our God is a God on a mission. Our God is moving. We see this throughout the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. We see this throughout human history, throughout church history. Our God is a God on a mission. And I love that this passage that we're looking at this morning is coming right around the corner from Christmas because nowhere do we see God on a mission more clearly than at Christmas time. We see this in 1 John. 1 John 4, 9 says, by this, the love of God is revealed to us, that God has sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. Jesus' arrival in the manger is our God on a mission, and in this mission of God, Jesus brings the light of the world to bring us life. That is part of God's mission. And everywhere God moves on his mission in the lives of people, we see that when people who were once in darkness experience the light and experience the life of God and all that God can offer them, they are invited into this mission. Listen, when you are invited into the family of God, you are also invited into God's mission. You are invited into what God is doing in this world. And you are called to play a vital role 
in that mission. We see this throughout the New Testament. We see this throughout Acts, that anywhere people's eyes are open to the reality of what God is doing and what God can be to them, they're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And not only is this incredible for me, but man, we need to go tell other people about this. We need to go share this with other people in this world. This is what Jesus commanded us. It's what he commanded his disciples after he rose from the grave at the end of his time here on earth in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go, he is sending us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus sends us out. He says, go. He calls us to make disciples. Listen, Arbor, this is at the epicenter of our church. We are called to be a people who are helping other people find and follow Jesus. This is our mission. And all around us, everywhere we go, there are people still trapped in darkness, living lives of of, of pain and hurt, of hopelessness, and we are called to step into that darkness and be the light and life that Jesus has been to us. And I know many of you hear that and you're like, I want to be on that mission. I want to go out and do that. I want more of my life to be about that, But, but but I'm trapped in this job. I'm just trying to get through school. I'm raising these kids. What do I do? Do I I quit those things? Do I leave those things behind? No, (laughs) don't. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. Keep working that job. Stay in school and and for sure, keep raising those kids. (laughs) Keep raising those kids. Listen, since God is on a mission and we are invited to be a part of that mission, what can we do? Listen, number one, you have a mission field all around you. You have a mission field all around you, in your workplaces, in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your families. People who are hurting, would you be a loving, hospitable source that can speak honestly about the brokenness and hopelessness in this world, but, 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 but bring that hope and joy and be like, listen, in Jesus, we find joy and hope and peace, and let's tell others about Jesus. But listen, number two, number two, and this is what we're going to see here at the end of Philippians this morning, is you can be a funder of the mission. You can give to the mission of God. You see, Paul is writing this entire letter to the Philippians, and it's essentially one long thank you note. That's what this is. Paul, as I mentioned earlier, he was on mission and he was going out in the known Roman Empire preaching and proclaiming the gospel And and Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians because the Philippians were helping fund this mission. And he was saying, thank you. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for sending Epaphroditus and encouraging me, knowing that you care and sending support while I am in prison on this mission meant so much. And so Paul is a recipient of the gift. But not only that, listen, Paul is their mentor. He is their pastor, and what he's doing here at the end of the letter is he's trying to give them a joy-filled perspective on giving. You see, he wants to thank them for their generosity to him, but he's trying to be careful and not be manipulative here, okay? 
He's like walking this thin line and he's like, I want to thank you for the gifts that you've given me, but I'm not thanking you so that you give me more, okay? But I want to thank you because you did what was right in supporting me and partnering with me in my ministry and I want to encourage you to do the same because it's what God wants for your life. And so Paul is walking this tightrope here and he's trying to maintain this balance between thanking them, but also encouraging them to continue to be generous. And, and, and what I want us to understand this morning is that as Paul instructs the Philippians, he is giving them and he is giving us right now instructions on how we can play a vital role in the mission and ministry of God here on earth, how each and every one of us can be a part of changing the world around us. And listen, that starts as local as you can possibly get. It starts in the local church and it moves out from there. And so what we're going to see here in the passage today are seven reasons why giving is good. That's what we're going to see this morning. Seven reasons why giving is good. We should go out and tell others about Jesus and about the hope and joy and peace we can find in Jesus, but we can also be funders of the mission as well. Now listen, I know that some of you are here today and you're like, awesome, I'm at a church and there's a pastor and he's talking about giving. How cliche. I'm just here to watch my grandson or my nephew get dedicated and now I got to sit through 30 minutes of this guy talking about, listen, I get it. I get it, let's, let's call out the elephant in the room. There's going to be no guilt trip, no banging you over the head. We are not going to be passing the buckets again, all right? We're not gonna be collecting up an offering at the end of this service, okay? All I want to do right now is I want to look at God's word and see what God's word says at the end of Philippians about generosity and about giving, okay? Amen. That's all I wanna do. And so here is the first reason why giving is good. Giving is good because it creates joy. Giving is good because it creates joy. We're gonna dip back into what Brian taught on last week in Philippians 4 verse 10. Paul writes this. He says, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. And so, so Paul's like, when all of you thought about me, and when you gave generously to me and sent money, I rejoiced, I celebrated, I had a party, I was so grateful. And so listen, for us, when we fund the mission and ministry of God, when we give generously, you have the opportunity, and this is awesome, to be a joy creator. You have the opportunity to be a joy creator. The other month, I had a friend of mine, and he supports this Bible translation ministry, and he sent me a video of, of a Bible translation process going on in East Africa, and I wish I had the video, but I'll try to explain it to you. In the video, there was kind of like this nerdy-looking American guy at a computer, all right? And he's there with some of the local people, and they're working on translating the Gospel of John. And in this room, there are a couple other guys at different computers working on different books of the Bible. But the video is focused on this one guy because they're about to finish it. And the, the American guy's there and he's like listening to the guy and he's translating it from Greek and he types and they finally get to the end. And at the end of translating the Gospel of John, he kind of sits back and he kind of crosses his arms, puts up his glasses a little bit, you know, and he looks and he looks relieved. But the local guy who was there working on it with him, he did something totally different. He kind of got up he started swaying back and forth, you know? There's no music playing or anything. He starts moving, 
And he starts celebrating. And he's like dancing around. And he gets his other friends and he's like, I can't believe it. Look what's going on here. Because for the first time in their lives, the Gospel of John had been translated into their language. And they're having this party and they pull up the nerdy American guy and he's celebrating too now, you know. And they're all dancing. And my friend's like, look at how joy, like he was part of, of, of helping create that joy. And you see, when we give to the ministry that God has in front of us, we can be a part of creating that kind of joy. We can take part in that kind of creation of next level joy. And here's the cool thing about it. You don't have to have a lot of time or a lot of money to be a part of it. Paul writes in verse 11, he says, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. And so what Paul's saying here is what thrilled me was not the amount that you sent. What thrilled me was to know that you cared. Listen, it doesn't matter how wealthy we are and how much we give, just that we're willing. Just that we're willing to step in and that we do and that we're obedient. And this is good because it creates next level joy. Reason number one, giving is good because it creates joy. Reason number two, giving is good when it's fueled by faith and not by guilt. Giving is good when it's fueled by faith not by guilt. I'm sure many of us in this room right now have listened to talks and maybe they were at a church, maybe they weren't even religious oriented where like you felt under the gun, high pressure, guilt trip given sort of thing, yeah? Have you ever experienced that before? What comes to mind for me are like those 1990s like ASPCA commercials, you know what I'm talking about? With like the sad looking dogs and the sad looking cats and the Sarah McLaughlin song in the background and the arms of the A. You know what I'm talking about? If you're over 35, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, you might not have hurt these cats and dogs, but if you don't adopt one right now, if you don't give, you're part of the problem, right? You just feel this guilt. You feel this guilt. A lot of us, when we hear talks about giving, it's guilt-based. But Paul writes in verse 11, look there. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content in every circumstance. Paul wasn't trying to get more of the Philippians' money. His joy wasn't attached to their purse purse strings. He was content in Christ. He says in verse 13, he says, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. And Paul's like, you know, I'm not desperately in need. I'm, I'm not, my, my happiness, my security, my peace, my joy is not contingent on you being generous to me. My happiness, my joy, my peace is contingent on my God who I know cares for me and strengthens me. And that is the place where we all want to live from because when we live from that place of contentment in Christ, we are free to care for others. Listen, when you're content in Christ, you can be free to care for others. But when you're not, you will hoard everything you have. You will hoard your time. You will hoard your energy. You will hoard your money. You will, but the more secure you feel in God, the freer you'll be to give. The more content I am in Christ, the more free I will be to truly care for others because true giving that honors God comes from faith and not guilt. Listen, I don't know a lot about warfare. I don't know a lot about battles, but one thing I do know is that if you want to stop an army, you cut off its supply line. And one of the ways the enemy stops the the fueling and funding of ministry here on earth is he cuts believers' supply line of faith. 
And he causes us to be worried about our stuff, about our time, about our money, about our energy. And we hold those things so tightly. And so many works of God are prevented from happening here on earth because we as a people hoard the stuff that we have thinking we're going to find security there. But the more we trust God with our lives and our well-being, the freer we are to give, the freer we are to care. Giving is good when it's fueled by faith and not by guilt. Here's reason number three why giving is good. Giving is good because it deepens our partnership with others in ministry. That's what we see here in Philippians. Giving is good because it deepens our partnership with others in ministry. Paul, again, remember, he's trying to maintain this balance with the Philippians, and he's trying to be grateful, but he's not trying to sound manipulative, and he's trying to instruct them, and so then he turns around here in verse 14. Look at what he writes. He says, nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my trouble. Another translation puts it this way. And yet it was kind of you to share in my suffering. And so Paul's like, again, I'm thanking you not to get more money. I I, want to honor what you've done and thank you. But listen, you did the right thing in sending that gift to me. But notice that Paul doesn't put it that way. How does Paul put it? Paul says, you did the right thing by sharing in my sufferings. He equates the giving of their gifts and them sharing in his trouble. The literal word there in Greek for share is to partner. You did well to partner with me in this way. Something special happened in the Philippians' relationship with Paul as they gave to him. They went from being simply ministered to, uh, ministered by Paul to, to partnering with him in his ministry because they gave. Uh, in, in college, I went on this mission trip to New York City. Yeah, really rough to go to New York City on a mission trip in college. Uh, But I went to this mission trip uh, to New York City for a week. And while I was there, uh, one of the guys who I was with, he lost his wallet. He lost his wallet and he was freaking out. He was like, how am I gonna pay for food? And and how am I gonna get back to Chicago? I don't have my ID. And we were all like, man, that really sucks, bro. And he was like, yeah, it really does. But that's not gonna help me get a sandwich. That's not gonna help me get back to Chicago. And what was so cool was watching some of these older guys who were running the trip come alongside him and really partner with him during his time of need. One of the guys came up to him and just kind of like opened up his wallet and peeled off a couple of 20s and was like, here you go, man. Like, this is gonna help you for the week. Another guy coordinated with the ministry that we were with to take him to the DMV and take him to the police station to try to figure out how to get him back. And you could see the relief wash over this guy as he had people come alongside of him and give and partner with him during his suffering on this trip. That's why in giving it's so powerful that we get to partner with others in their labor and in their suffering in ministry. When we do that by giving, we also enter into the trenches with them in their suffering. But not only that, we also get to uniquely celebrate with them when there are victories and when there are things to celebrate. Like the other month, I had the privilege of going to this banquet for a ministry that we support here at Arbor called Acres of Diamonds. And Acres of Diamonds is this awesome ministry that helps homeless women and their children uh, rewrite their stories. 
And we were at this dinner, and I remember it was this huge ballroom in downtown Bellevue, and this woman goes up on the stage to share her story, and, and she is just up there sharing this incredible story of how she was homeless, living out of her car with her two sons, a, a victim of, of domestic violence and abuse, and, and how God used this ministry to totally change and transform not only her life, but her son's lives. Uh, their, their lives are absolutely different now because of what God has done through this ministry. This woman serves on staff at this ministry, and I'm not doing this story justice because there was not a dry eye in the room, and I couldn't help but think how awesome it is that all of us as a church, we play such a small, small but important role in partnering with this ministry, and it meant so much more to hear this story because we are involved in a very small way by partnering with a ministry like that. Listen, when we give, when we give, we get to be partners with what God is doing in the world around us. And listen, it doesn't matter if it's a lot or if it's a little. I mean, just think, imagine how it must feel to be the guy in heaven who let Mary and Joseph use his barn. Imagine being that guy. Like, imagine being up in heaven and being like, so, like, what's your story? What did you do? And he's like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, these young couple just asked if they could use the space, and it was open, and I said, sure, have a crack at it, and look at history now, right? Pretty incredible. Or imagine being the guy in Jerusalem who let Jesus use his donkey, Right? Like you go up to him and he's like, yeah, I, I, I love that little special guy. And I knew that he was gonna do something really awesome with his life and look at what he did. <laughs> Incredible, right? Like imagine how many stories that we're gonna hear in eternity of people who generously gave and partnered with what God is doing in this world. Giving is good. Giving is good because it deepens our partnership with others in ministry. Okay, reason number four, let's keep going. Um, giving is good because it doesn't require a lot of maturity or money. Giving is good because it doesn't require a lot of maturity or money. Verse 15, Paul writes, As you Philippians know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving, except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, on more than one occasion, you sent something for my need. And so Paul's like, listen, I was just about stranded. I had no one else but you guys to support me. And in, uh, ancient Near e in that ancient Near East, Greco-Roman area, Thessalonica was just the next city over. And Paul's like, I didn't even get two cities over, and you were supporting me, and you were giving to me, and you hadn't been walking with Jesus for many years. I had just left. So many of you were new to the faith, and yet you gave, and you didn't have a lot, but you gave to me, and you supported me. And so listen, here's the point for number four, short and sweet. You don't have to be mature. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be old. You don't have to be brilliant. You just have to be willing. You just have to be willing, and God can use you. You might have just recently started following Jesus. You might not have a lot of spare time. You might not have a lot of extra money to give to the mission and ministry of God, but you can still give something. All of us can give something. We can give some time, some energy, some level of resource to what God is doing here on earth. Giving is good because it doesn't require a lot of maturity or a lot of money. That's reason number four. Reason number five, why giving is good. Giving is good because it's a sign that God is at work in your life. 
Giving is good because it is a sign that God is truly at work in your life. Verse 17, Paul writes this. I do not say this because I am seeking a gift. Rather, I seek the credit that abounds to your account. So again, Paul is walking this tight rope here. And he's saying, I'm not thanking you for sharing me, uh, sharing with me in this because I'm seeking more of it. But listen, here's what I am seeking. Here is what I am after for all of you. He is saying, I am after the credit that abounds to your account. What does that mean? What does that even mean that he's about the credit that abounds to our account? Well, remember, all the way back at the beginning of his letter to the Philippians in verses 9 through 11, Paul, he writes this. He says that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight so that you can decide what is best and thus be secure and blameless for the day of the Lord. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Why do I read these verses? Well, these are the verses that we have been reading just about at the end of every single service here. And this is Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. And listen, Arbor, this is, this is our prayer for our church. This is our prayer, our hope, and our prayer and our desire and our anticipation is that as we encounter Jesus and follow Jesus, we would truly be transformed and changed and made into new people, that we would become more and more like Jesus over time, that we would experience what Paul is calling here, the fruit of righteousness. We would experience actual change and actual transformation in our lives because Paul said that the love that God has poured out on you, it should naturally bear fruit in your lives. The love that God has poured out to us through Jesus should naturally bear fruit in our lives. Jesus said that good trees bear good fruit and one of those good fruits that good trees bear is generosity. Listen, we don't give to the mission of God to gain favor with God. We don't give to the ministry of God to to earn our salvation. People who have been loved and transformed by Jesus are naturally generous. We give to what God is doing here on earth. And listen, I get that like even now in this message in particular, at this point, some of us are starting to be like, you don't know me. And, and we're, we're, we're growing in a fence or, or we're kind of turning kind of against what God might ask of us today. And here's what I want to say. Like, I know exactly how that feels. I remember one time in North Carolina, I was working at this church and I was not getting paid a lot of money. And I remember a pastor who was teaching there one Sunday morning said something to the extent of, you can come to church and you can sing all the songs you want, but if you're not giving your money away, you're just playing games. And I said, you shut up. (laughs) I don't want to hear that right now. I was so offended when he said that. But listen, over time, what I realized was I was offended because he was right. At least for me personally. I was offended because he was right. I didn't trust God. I I, I wanted to hoard the little that I had to secure the life that I wanted. I didn't trust Jesus very much with my stuff. And again, I want to reiterate, I'm simply teaching all of this uh, and I, we're not going after your money today. 
We're not passing a bucket. There's no big offering at the end or anything like that. I'm simply trying to teach through this passage so that we can learn from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians, just as we have for the last 10 weeks, in order to be the kind of men and be the kind of women that God wants us to be. And one thing we see here in this verse is that giving is good because it's a sign that God is at work in our lives. Reason number six, two more to go. Giving is good because God promises to supply his suppliers. Giving is good because God promises to supply his suppliers. Look at verse 19. This is so encouraging. Paul writes this. And my God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Listen, church, right here, this is a promise from God. This is a promise from God. And so when we decide by faith to step up and step into generously giving to what God is doing here on earth, God turns and he says, I will take care of you. That's what God's word says. And I know some of us in this room, we are skeptics and we are cynics and we say, how how is God gonna do that? I've heard verses like that before. How does that play out? Well, what I find so interesting is there's this book by this guy named Christian Smith And he's a researcher and a professor at Notre Dame. And he wrote this book called The Paradox of Generosity. The Paradox of Generosity. And in this book, in these studies, over multiple, multiple years, what they found was that generous people were healthier, happier, and had more purpose in life. That people who gave abundantly of their time and their energy and their resources, they were healthier, they were happier, they avoided depression more, they were more likely to avoid major illnesses. And here's the thing, the, the, the connection between generosity and a healthier, happier version of yourself is not a correlation, they proved it was a causation. That it wasn't just that healthier, happier people gave more, but that people who were actually generous, it transformed them emotionally, spiritually, physiologically. One study they did, they did this study over the course of seven years and they studied older folks who were volunteering and giving their time. And those who were volunteering and giving their time over the seven-year period were significantly less likely to die than those who didn't. And so people were literally dying off who weren't generous over time. You know like the movie The Grinch where like his heart shrinks down like too many sizes, right? Like that's what was going on by not being generous. In another study, they found that being generous is a greater protection against heart disease than taking an aspirin every day by like a factor of two. Read the book if you don't believe me. Paradox of Generosity. Generosity is better at protecting our heart health than aspirin. We see this throughout these studies. Listen, this is all true, I think, because God has built us this way. This is how God has built us. If we want to become selfish with our stuff, we will shrivel up and die, and we will become these, these shadows of ourselves because we were meant to extend out. We were meant to give. But here's the most interesting thing about all the studies here that they did. None of this works with like one periodic, big, once-in-a-blue-moon gift. They didn't find these benefits carried over with an individual who just gave one big gift to one online cause at one time. It has to be periodic. It has to be a habit. The more you give, the better you live, is what the study showed. And again, I believe that this is because this is the way that God designed us and, and he, the way he wired us. He supplies his suppliers. 
Our God is a generous, good God, and we are designed in his image to be good and generous people. People who are on a mission, who give to the work of God here on earth. It's what we are called to be, and when we do that, it's a good thing, again, because God promises to take care of those who supply his mission and his ministry. He says it here, and my God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's God's word right there. It's a promise. It's a promise to us. Reason number six. Now reason number seven, the last one. Giving is good because it brings glory to God. Giving is good because it brings glory to God. Paul ends after celebrating the Philippians' generosity in verse 20, and he says this, may glory be given to God our Father forever and ever, amen. When we step out by faith and give to the mission and ministry of God, God is glorified through the work that happens. John Piper, a pastor in Minnesota, he said this, he said that missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions and ministry exist because worship doesn't. Worship of Jesus doesn't happen in the way it should in our neighborhoods and in our homes and in our schools and in our workplaces. Therefore, we must go out on mission and be part of God's ministry here on earth. Like, let me ask all of you this. How many of you love worshiping Jesus? (laughs) Everyone's like, I better raise my hand for this one, right? (laughs) I love worshiping Jesus. I love worshiping Jesus. It's not always like this incredible experience where I'm feeling super positive. Even during the hard times, I do love worshiping Jesus, even when he feels far away. And if that is the same for you, and you want to double that joy, double that love, then we must give to what God is doing. Would we create more worshipers? Would we create more worshipers? And in doing so, God is more magnified. He is made more famous. That's what it means to bring God glory. It means that his name would grow more famous in our neighborhoods, in the world around us, through what God is doing in your life, in his mission, in his ministry. Giving is good because it brings glory to God. And as I was thinking about how to close this talk this morning, I thought, well, I could just simply say, well, like, give. Give your time. Give your money. Give your resources. Give your energy. And and that just kind of felt a little flat here at the end on this talk about giving, you know, because it was like, well, you should do those things, for sure. You should definitely do those things. But then I thought, well, maybe, maybe we can give to some sort of cause or some sort of project, uh, some, something outside of Arbor, maybe with acres of diamonds, maybe here going on inside the church. And then I, again, I thought, well, that's not the best way to be obedient to this passage. Because, because, God, because the, the, the work that God does doesn't just happen in those one-off moments. It has to be a habit. It has to be a, a, a practice. I don't want us to be involved in just some sort of generous project. I want us to be a generous people. And so here's what I want us to do. I just simply want us, I want to challenge you to be consistently generous in some way. Whether it's to a church, whether it's to an organization or a family or a need or a cause, and maybe you're just visiting here today and Arbor isn't your church home and you go to a different church somewhere else, would you choose to be generous with them? Maybe you've never taken a step toward generosity, and so I just have a couple simple steps that we can take here at the very end to be generous. 
And here's the first one. If you've never, ever given to a cause or a church or an organization or anything before, here's a simple first step, okay? Match your favorite subscription. Match your favorite subscription. And here's what I mean by this. All of us probably subscribe to some sort of thing like Hulu, right? Netflix, Spotify, YouTube TV, whatever it might be. I have plenty of those subscriptions, probably too many, okay? Look at, look at what you subscribe. Look at what you give your money to every single month. And that's great. I do it too. I love those things. But if you've never taken this step, match your favorite subscription and be like, I love Netflix. I give them 20 bucks a month. I'm going to give that organization 20 bucks a month. I'm going to take a step of faith for the first time in my life and for the next year, I'm going to consistently give and I'm going to match that subscription. But maybe many of you already do that in this room and you give a little bit every single month. Here's what I would challenge you toward in this coming year. Aim for 10%. Aim for 10%. Christian Smith, in that study that he did that I cited earlier, stated that generous people were classified as those who gave 10% of their income, and of all the people they studied, only 2.7% of all people give that much. 2.7. And so, for many of us in this room, it's not us. We're not there yet. But I challenge you to go and grow in that direction. Maybe start at 1%, 2%, and move up month by month and aim for increased generosity in your life until you get to that spot where you can count yourself amongst the 2.7%. We don't have time to get into the biblical concept of the tithe right now, but would this be what we are aiming for? And one more thing, maybe you are among the 2.7% in this room that give that amount. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Go above and beyond. Go above and beyond not because any organization's health or happiness hinges on it, but because this is who our God is. Our God is a God who has gone above and beyond for us. He sent his one and only son to come into this earth, live a perfect life, die the death we deserve, rose again conquering sin and death forever, therefore changing our lives here and for all eternity. Our God has gone above and beyond for us. And we are designed in his image. And when we model, when we emulate, when we follow our God and do what he has done, our good and generous God, and we live in a good and generous way, when we live more and more into our purpose and into our mission, listen, let me tell you what we will experience in spades. We will experience joy. We will experience the joy of God. And so whatever your step would be moving forward from this place as we close out our study in Philippians, I would just call all of us to prayerfully enter into this next season, into this next year, asking God, Lord, what would you want of me? What step would you call of me in my life toward generosity? Where can I give my time? Where can I give my energy? Where can I give my resources so that you can be glorified and I can experience true and lasting joy? through generosity. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful for your kindness to us. We are so grateful to your generosity to us through your son, Jesus Christ, that we get to celebrate that and remember that during this time of year. Lord, thank you that you have gone above and beyond for each and every one of us. And Lord, right now I pray that as we hear this final word from your, uh, your letter to the Philippians, 
God, that we would step out in generosity. Lord, so many of us know those seasons uh, where someone was generous with us or where we were able to be generous with someone else and the joy especially that we experienced when we gave. God, I pray that we would be a generous people, that you'd help us to build habits and practices of life where we are people who are generous, where we are people who give because that's who you are, God, and that's what you call us to be. And we experience great joy when we do that. So Lord God, we pray that you would be glorified during this season here at Arbor as we celebrate your arrival and the advent of your son's birth. We, we anticipate your son coming again. We cannot wait until that day. And it's with hope and joy that we anticipate it. And we pray all, thing, all these things in his powerful name. Amen.